Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? U.S. President Richard Nixon announced that he will visit the People's Republic of China. Apollo 15 is the fourth man landing on the moon. And they take a six and a half hour car ride. The 26th Amendment is ratified and becomes part of the U.S. Constitution and lowers the voting age from 21 to 18. This is July 1971, and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And with us today is friend of the show, Andy Burt. All right, Andy. Andy. All right, man. He's bringing us the album pick. Absolutely. I've got to, when I was asked to be a guest on the show, the first thing I thought was, I got to go, the Allman Brothers Band. Of course. And uh, it's a quintessential recording, one of the greatest live recordings of all time. Live at Fillmore East. Andy, you must be from Georgia. Absolutely. Born and raised. In Atlanta, GA. All right. Uh, I love the Allen Brothers from day one. Anyway, this is their third album. Uh, they had two studio al- two studio albums before this. Oh. Uh, that did did not do very well. Uh, I think the first album sold 300,000 copies. Uh, that was a self-titled album. And then they came out with Auto Wild South, which some people may have heard of, but it also did not do very well. And it just didn't capture their their magic, which was live shows. And they knew that. And I think Dwayne and Greg Allman, who were the Allman brothers, talked about that and said, we need to do a live recording. So they did this in March, over three nights in March 1971. Hmm. It was released in July. And it was done at Fillmore East, which is a just a famous venue for a few years up in New York. There's also one, and Wayne talked about this before in a prior podcast, there was Fillmore West in San Francisco. Oh. And Fillmore East in New York. Uh, actually, Fillmore West actually closed in July of 71. And, and the final show was Santana, CCR, and The Grateful Dead. And Fillmore East closed a month before that in June of 71. And the Allman Brothers was the last band to perform there. Really? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, Bill Graham, who owned those, just loved the Allman Brothers. But um, so Andy, did they? I mean, did they continue to have more success with their live stuff than studio stuff, or did they finally yes. catch up and figure out? How to do this it? is the first album that got any traction and success. But they had two more: Eat a Peach and then Brothers and Sisters. Were two more albums that had more success. But that was the best albums they ever had as far as most successful. They really were known as a live band. Gotcha. And their following was more organic that yeah. way. Uh, this song we're listening to is called Statesboro Blues. It's an old blues song that came out and written by Blind Willie McTell. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Blind 19, Willie. Blind Willie. And he was blind. Written in 1928. But Greg and, and, and Dwayne had heard it in... Uh, 1968 on a Taj Mahal album. There was a blues guitarist named Taj Mahal. I love Taj Mahal. He Sent heard him in concert. He had a song, 1968, on Al Mount. And Dwayne heard this, and this is a great story. He learned how to play the slide guitar really from this song. Listen to this, 
And the story goes that Greg, his brother, brought him the album and also some cold medicine. He had a cold. <laughs> and the cold medicine back then, uh, Cora Seaton, came oh, in yeah. a glass vial. It's not plastic like we have nowadays. He heard this song and got the idea. He dumped the cold medicine out, put this little glass vial, which is about three or four inches long, about the yeah. size of a finger. He slid that over his ring finger and started emulating this sound, and that's how he learned to play the slide guitar. I'll be doing I this? saw that interview, and Greg says he still had that vial. I wonder after his death that's somewhere yeah. in there. That, Probably. that would be cool. And what's interesting is other people, Gary Rossington, Rory Gallagher, even Derek Trucks, they still play with that same glass vial. Not that one, but one like right. that. Just a concept, yeah. Pretty interesting. Um they, they do a lot of covers. I wanted to put this song on there because it's an example of they like to take a lot of these old blues standards and then and cover them yeah. and kind of add the little rock sound. This progressive rock, progressive blues. Uh, just love this song and Dwayne's slide guitar is just amazing. That's not about Statesboro, Georgia, is it? Yeah. Oh, Statesboro yeah. blues has to be about Georgia Southern and their and football colors. I'm just kidding. And uh, this is a, this next song is kind of a deep cut, and I, I use that term loosely because there's only seven songs on this double album. Wow. Can't believe that. <laughs> there are two different songs that take up an entire side, each take up a side of an album. But this is, I think, Nebron's gonna like this. Starts off with a Hammond B3 organ, yes. and then you got these dual guitars. Let me tell you a little bit about the Almond Brothers. They're Dwayne Almond and Greg Almond, the two brothers, obviously. Dwayne was a guitar, lead guitar. Greg played keyboards. Dickie Betts was another lead guitar. That was made this band pretty unusual. They had two lead guitars yep. and two drummers. Wow. Um, and that was the day of the power trio, you know, and Cream and Jimi Hendrix. And so here's a six-piece band. But Dickie Betts was the other guitarist. Barry Oakley was an underappreciated under, um, bass yes. player. You can hear his bass right now just soaring over this. Um, Butch Trucks was one of the drummers. They called him the freight train. He, he really gave the, the driving, pulsating sound. And then... Uh, J-Mo um, was a drummer, more of a jazz background. He was an African-American. And then you can imagine in 1969, they yeah. had an integrated band in the Deep South was yeah. a big deal. The Owen Brothers were, were proud of that. And they said, we're, it's all about the music. Absolutely. It's all about the music. Absolutely. So blending that jazz from him and a lot of blues. You can hear the blues in this uh, Hammond B3 organ that Greg yeah. Owens playing. <laughs> Brian's over here playing I'm it. Doing a, I, you know, I, I do play a, a, a great air drum and a great air, <laughs> air keyboard. This song is uh, called Hot Lanta which is, back in those days, a, a nickname for Atlanta. You might get the hot Atlanta. I think they still call it that, they brother. They still, although a lot of people, there's a there's a beer from Monday Night Brewery called Don't Call It Hot Atlanta. <laughs> it's an IPA, and I think a lot of people think that that, that word's been overused, hot Atlanta. But. Now, they're out of Macon, Georgia, yes. but I remember them, I, I mean, just when I first came here, the big thing was Piedmont Park, the Allman Brothers Band. That was sort of like a... In a staple and in those the, were in three the concerts. Yeah, and Wayne, let me go back and say Wayne did a great job on. I think it's episode number four of What the Riff, talking about Hourglass, which was the band that Greg and, and Dwayne Almond were in out in California, and they were trying to put a round peg into a square hole. I mean, they yeah. were trying to make them a pop band. It didn't work. Dwayne took off and actually wound up in Muscle Shoals and did some amazing recordings with Aretha Franklin and Wilson Pickett, which got him recognized. Yep. He, did a, he did a version of Hey Jude that Eric Clapton heard over in Britain and said, i got to find and meet that guitarist, which they eventually did, Derek and the Dominoes. We but, did talk about that on yeah. the previous on the Wilson Pickett album that we did uh, a few weeks ago. This song is, uh, um, but anyway, go back to Piedmont Park. They played there, they did free concerts there in 1969-70, and they, had, they formed in Jacksonville in 1969. And then they moved to Macon because they signed with Capricorn Records, which Phil Walden had owned. 
and they lived together. They liked a little communal living back then. They did a little psychedelic drugs and, <laughs> and hung out together. I think you had to do psychedelic yeah, drugs amen. to live together in a community <laughs> yeah. like that. And you imagine a Macon. This is a sleepy little town. These hippies come in, motorcycle riding hippies, all these drugs, <laughs> long hair. But uh, they would go up to Atlanta, which is um, hour about, and a half, about 80 miles, yeah, 80 miles from there. And they would do free concerts on Sundays. And uh, that's really where they, again, playing live. They did like nine, 300 shows in 1970. So while the albums weren't selling great, they created this huge following with the live shows and these improvis- and improvs. Here's a drum solo that, luckily, it's not the 20-minute solo you hear at some of their concerts. But this is uh, Dwayne and J-Mo kind of coming together to sound as one. Oh, cool. And then it goes right back into the melody again of Hotline. I just love this. And those, um, I love this, Andy, because I, I really don't know a whole lot about the Allman Brothers, but that's what I like about this podcast is it helps me appreciate bands that maybe I didn't at one point appreciate. So mm-hmm. that's cool. I didn't know they had two drummers. I knew they had two guitarists. And it's interesting how they, like I said, they come from different influences. Dickie had kind of more of a country bluegrass upgrading. Dickie Betts, the guitarist. But Dwayne and Greg, when they were growing up, got into the blues um, and the old blues stuff. And you can yeah. see that and hear that in their sound. So this is Hotline. And you think the song's about over. But this is another classic Almond Brothers thing, and this is going to last another minute because they get into kind of improving. And I want you to hear toward the end of this, Butch Trucks love the timpani drums, the kettle drums. Oh. So toward the end of this, you'll hear him lead the drum set, and J-Mo kind of takes over the drums, and then and Butch will go over here, and you'll hear the, you hear the timpani drum building up to a crescendo at the end. But uh, Hotline was a good song. It's a deep cut because not too many people hear that. They never recorded this in the studio. This is always just on a live album. But hmm. uh now to show my ignorance, so yeah, sorry, uh, Andy. So to show you my uh, lack of knowledge with the Almond Brothers, the first time I ever heard of Greg Almond was, of course, when he got married to Cher. Oh no, yeah, that might be a low point. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but of well, course they, they had a son, Elijah, Elijah Blue. Blue. Yeah, he that's had, why I, I'd never heard of him before then. He had been married seven times, so that was not one of his uh, positive attributes, I guess. I'd yeah. say, but I wonder who had the most money during that breakup. You know. You just oh, like, yeah. go, hey, you keep what you yeah. had, I keep what I had. Here you go. Awesome. Love it. We're going to stick with the same trend, the instrumental. We're going to get into probably their best instrumental. What's this one? This is, a, and that's Dwayne Allman introducing it. This is In Memory of Elizabeth Reed. It was on their second studio album in about a five or six minute version. This is about a 14-minute version because it did what they do. They, they improv and all this, but I will take a couple of things. Dickie, in this intro, you hear a little bit of, uh, this is influenced by Miles Davis, a oh, song called All Blues. I can see that. And then later, you'll hear Dwayne Allman uh, channeling a little bit of John Coltrane. So they really had a lot of different uh, interesting uh, it's an influences that affected the song. This is the first instrumental that uh, they ever recorded as a band. And the songs in memory of Elizabeth Reed, you would think it's, it is a song about a woman. It is not about Elizabeth Reed. Um, it actually is a song about, uh, written by Dickie Betts. Uh, he wrote some great instrumentals. Jessica was another one he wrote. It's fantastic. But this is about a woman that he had an illicit, uh, I guess we call it an affair, mm. with a woman. And he, he wrote the song for the woman, but didn't want to name her because she was the girlfriend of... Uh, Boz Skaggs. Ooh. Ooh. So he decided to name it something else. And uh, he was. Uh, they used to spend a lot of time in a, there's a local cemetery in Macon called the Rose Hill Cemetery. 
and it turns out that uh, they used to spend some time there. They wrote some songs there. They would hang out there. They they did do some psychedelic drugs there. <laughs> and they uh, there's a tombstone. There's a headstone that reads, "In memory of Elizabeth Reed," and that's where Dickie got the title, literally from a, a headstone in the Rose Hill Cemetery. Oh, hmm. interesting, isn't it? Now is Dickie also buried in the Rose Hill? We. Well, Dickie's still living, but yeah. I, I the, know, I mean, uh, is it? Yeah, uh, that cemetery. Dwayne, Dwayne yes. is buried there, I know. Dwayne died, uh, and that was interesting. This this album came out in July of 71. It's the first album that, like I said, had success. It went gold in October of 71, three months later, and wow. it took off immediately. It peaked about 13 on the charts, Billboard album charts. But right when it peaked in October 71, Dwayne Allman was killed in a motorcycle accident in Macon. Um, and then literally... 13 months later, three blocks away, the bass player Barry Oakley died in a motorcycle accident as well. And they're wow. both buried and, and in Oakley Rose Hill hit Cemetery. a peach truck, and that was the Eat a Peach yeah. <laughs> album. And so it's kind of ironic that they had already recorded yeah. before that. That was that was and, odd. And he, I've been to Macon, and I've tried to go into the, to the cemetery, cemetery yeah. trying to look for uh, Dwayne's grave because it is kind of popular, but I could not find it. I uh, you know, I, I was kind of too embarrassed to ask somebody. <laughs> there, so Dwayne and Barry Oakley are buried there, and then Dwayne, uh, Greg Allman died uh, in May of 2017, three years ago. He's also buried there now, too. In fact, he, it's an interesting side story. My son got married, Andrew got married on May 27th, 2017, and I walked up to him, and I said, uh, we got there early because you had to take pictures as a family, and he said, I got some bad news. And I said, what? It's your wedding day. He goes, Greg Allman died today. And I just about hit my knees. It was like mm. the, the best day and the worst day. Oh, but, man. Uh, mm. That was, makes, I'll always remember that. They just had a third anniversary and third anniversary. Uh, in fact, I took Andrew, my son, to his first, well, his first concert, I thought, was the Allman Brothers Band at Lakewood back at about 2004 or five. He was 13 yeah. years old. And then I took him to see Rush. So I thought I was raising him right, and I found out later, and his mom and I had divorced a few years earlier. And she's a good mom. Don't get me wrong. But she had taken him to his first concert, I found out later, was the American Idol Tour. <laughs> so I felt intervention was necessary. So I got him to see the Allman Brothers and Rush. I, I think I did my job. Andrew, if you're listening, we hope that you've uh, overcome that American <laughs> Idol Tour. There you go. This was, album was produced by Tom Dowd, who was an amazing engineer and producer. He had worked with Thelonious Monk and um, some great uh, Charlie Parker. Um, a lot of jazz. A, a, so a lot of jazz in the background, but he did. Look him up sometime. Tom Dowd, D-O-W-D. Amazing. Derek and the Dominoes, he recorded that. Uh, Layla and other assorted love songs. But he called the Allen Brothers. He said, you know, he's, this is his direct quote. He said, fusion is a term that came later. But if you wanted to look at a fusion album, it would be Fillmore East. Yeah. Here was a rock band playing blues in a jazz vernacular. And they tore the place up. You really can hear all those influences. Yeah, oh yeah. And they guess how much they got paid per night at the Fillmore East. That band of six people got paid twelve hundred and fifty dollars per show. Each oh. or just the whole That's group? That's the total group per night. That's about two hundred and eight dollars per person. And Greg and Dwayne might have got more, but they were not known for getting a lot of money. We know it costs more but. than that to stay two nights in New York. The interesting thing about this too is that they were not the headliner at first. Uh, they were on the bill with Johnny Winter and the Edgar, I mean Elvin Bishop group. And after the first night, they had like a 90-minute set, which is some of their songs last about that long. 
So they were so good and blew people away that literally the next night they became the headliner and played last on the next two nights. And that allowed them the freedom to play these long songs, the improvs. They had a bomb scare the last night, um, unrelated to them, I think. And they said the, the, the last show, they had a two- or three-hour bomb delay, and they said they played at like 6 in the morning after they came back till daybreak. So they were just known for – and they said – Dickie Bess has said this is the pinnacle of their – career they said that was just one of those magical two or three nights that is amazing yep. well i'll tell you this song is going to go on for a little bit longer <laughs> we want you to get it and download it and listen to Absolutely. the whole thing but we're gonna we're gonna uh, carry on to the next song i'm gonna fade this out listen to this bass track all right this is very familiar I know this one. This is the first uh, song that I recognized when I heard of the Almond Brothers band. This is Whipping Post. If you ever played bass guitar in that era, you would have to learn this riff right there. Yes. In fact, the, the, the music from this song started with that riff that Harry Oakley had created, but the lyrics were written by Greg Almond. He had just gotten back from L.A. and. Um, here a, a song that's about a man who has been betrayed by his woman to the point where he feels like he's helpless just feeling like he's tied to the whipping post awaiting more punishment oh man and you can hear the heartbreak in his voice well this yeah. sounds like the old blues songs i mean yeah. to me this is i would have thought hey they cover another one they just revised but no Dwayne and then coming in with that guitar but they said the lyrics came to him in the middle of the night and he could not find a pen so he wrote the lyrics on an ironing board with burnt matches. What? Greg tells that story, yeah. <laughs> it's like he got the he got the inspiration, he couldn't find a pen, so he did whatever he could. I didn't know matches could write, write that. I know, it must have kept burning them. I don't know if he, I don't know. He had to keep on burning them. I'll light it back on fire. <laughs> this wow. this album this song actually appeared on the first album, if you can believe it, it's a five minute version. This is this is one of the songs that takes up the entire side of an album. It's a twenty two minute version. It's got a drum solo. I won't make, make y'all sit through that one for a while. <laughs> but um, you can just hear the anguish and the heartache in Greg's yeah, voice, vocals. Yeah. But And y'all might appreciate this. I think Bruce, who's missing today, would appreciate this even more. It's written in 11-4 time. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so fast. It's really unusual for rock and for mm -hmm. even blues record records at that time. But um, Greg apparently said he had no idea. Dwayne had to tell him that. He goes, I don't know. I just wrote what was in my head. So. Wow. This is a song they'd usually play late in the show. Use an encore or late. In fact, I, I had seen them. I've seen them more than any band I've ever seen, probably 20, 25 times over the years. And I didn't see them until the mid-'90s. So I didn't. I missed Dwayne and all those because I was fairly young. But I saw them ten times before they played this song. I, but they had two or three-night show, and they'd always play the night before the night after I was there. But I went to a music festival called Wani, Wani. down in North Florida. In fact, the first time I ever heard this song, my daughter Jennifer was with me that weekend. I'm trying to introduce my kids to the great music, of course. Yes. And she looked at me, and she knew I, she'd heard the story. They started finding whipping pose. I started crying. It was, like, emotional. I'd finally heard this song. Wow. Yeah. For the first time after hearing them, I've seen them all those times. But, um, I've seen a couple of live bands cover this, yeah. uh, and it's it's a, it's a great song. Mm -hmm. Listen That's to that. Dwayne Solo. Yeah, to me, this is one of the anchors of Southern Rock. It's, yeah. It's whipping Post. Yeah. Along with Sweet Home Alabama. 
you know, yeah. Heard in a Love Song from Marshall Tucker and all those great yeah. anchor songs. Well, a lot of people get on to me because, I I mean, I'm sorry, Almond Brothers is at the top of Southern Rock. Yeah. Yeah, Leonard Skinner's really close, yeah. but it is the Almond Brothers. That was, they yeah. pretty much started it. And then we had and it, these other, and other guys. And it's funny, we think that, and I think that too. And they hated that term. Dickie Betts came out and said, I don't want, I want to be called a progressive rock band from the South. But I think a lot of them felt like it associated the Southern rock with this ignorant Southern man flying the Confederate flag and all that. And they yeah. came out and Well, said that's what that. Neil Young was yeah. portraying. Southern man, that song, sure. But they uh, even, Greg just said, I, it's just called rock music. It's just progressive rock, progressive jazz and right. blues. They really blended so many things. It's hard to pinhole them into any category, which is so cool. They just, I loved it. I just, I listen to this album all the time. And it's funny. It's not the first time I bought it. I bought Eat a Peaks that Wayne had mentioned, which was came out the next year, in nineteen seventy two, which is kind of a in memory of, of Dwayne who had died earlier. It only came out in three or four months after Dwayne had died, but that's the first time I bought it. In fact it was the first eight track tape. My uh, mother my what's mother that, Andy? we bought a Ford Capri. My mom and dad bought a Ford Capri with a crank sunroof and, <laughs> and crank windows. And she said, Let's go up to North Lake Mall, which is here in Atlanta, and buy our uh, each of them, I have a brother and a sister, and they each we could each buy an eight-track tape. The first eight-track tape I ever bought was Eat a Peach by the Almond Brothers. My sister bought uh, Jim Croce, Time of the Bottle, which oh, is another yeah, one y'all yeah, man cover yeah, one day. Yeah. We have. And my brother got a Grand Funk Railroad, so we, we had good we had good music. But I listened to this eight-track, and then it, as y'all said before in your podcast, what it did is it allowed me to go back and discover earlier recordings once I found Eat a Peach. Yes. I found Film East, and I found the first couple That's albums. That's how I found... Hourglass is going, okay, oh, yeah. where that came from? Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and obviously Almond Joys, the band before this. Their biggest, uh, I guess their biggest, really biggest second album was uh, Brothers and Sisters, which came out in 73, I guess. And they've had so many variations. When I saw them, they had, um, really for the last 15 or 20 years, they, I will say this, they played for 45 years as a band. They, just, they obviously had breaks and different people coming and going in there. But the last 15 or so years, they had the same lineup, and it was Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks. And Derek is the nephew of the original drummer, Butch Trucks. Oh. And he's got a band out now called the Tedeschi Trucks Band. If, if y'all can see them, go see them. Fantastic slide guitarist. In fact, Greg and Eric Clapton also said, he toured with Eric Clapton for a while, but both Eric and Greg have said that Dwayne Trucks, I mean, yeah, Dwayne, or Derek Trucks, excuse me, reminded them of Dwayne. Yeah, they look up on the keyboard and say, "Wow, that was like going back in time to see Derek mm. Trucks play." I'm sure, he sounds guitar. like him. It's kind of like uh, Bonham, Jason Bonham, playing a lot of mm, yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah. Well, this goes on for another 16 <laughs> minutes, but we're gonna move on to the show because you guys can go out and download this. Awesome picks, though, Andy. Thanks for well, bringing. Thanks that. for letting me share that. I sharing the passion of the Almond Brothers. Just, I love to do it. So, thank you for the opportunity. You got it. So now we're moving on to our entertainment track brought to us by Wright Collin Financial Services. And who do we have here? It's the theme from Shaft. And who is it? Isaac Hayes. <laughs> Isaac Hayes, you're right. Yes. This is one of those uh, black exploitation films, if you remember. And this was probably the most popular. Uh, it actually has a remake. Remember, You remember that came, coming out a few years back. But the plot revolves around a detective named John Schaff, yeah. who's hired by a Harlem mobster to re rescue his daughters from the Italian mobsters <laughs> who kidnapped her. So that was going on then. But, I mean, this the song is what I like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can Listen, picture Elvin Hayes. I mean, Isaac Hayes in that. Didn't they have a gold kind of vest? 
but it was like gold mesh chain. You know, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's bad. Of course, what did we know Isaac Hayes of before he passed away? South Park. And what was his character? <laughs> Chef. Chef. Children. This is the quintessential sound for a TV cop show. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what they, you know. <laughs> yeah. Listen to that. I don't know. What do you call that? What do you call that sound? How do they it's even? It's a guitar. But yeah, I know. You just kind of. He played the keyboard. Oh, no, that's, that's what Isaac played, though. Now there's a whole song that has words to it, so I don't know if this one has it or not. But uh, this is just maybe the theme from one of the opening track. But there's an actual song that goes yeah. along with this. Yes. Uh, also in film of July 1971, Murphy's War it was a war film with Peter O'Toole, but he um, he was a survivor of a merchant ship in World War II. And the, but he takes revenge on a German submarine which had sunk his ship. So. Damn right. Listen to that. Damn right. Okay, this is my the, favorite line's coming up here one. in a minute. Who is a man that would risk his neck for his brother man? His brother man. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? There's another movie, Two-Lane Blacktop. It's a road movie with songwriter James Taylor and the Beach Boy drummer Dennis Wilson. And they're two street racers who just go across the country um, challenging locals with uh, impromptu drag races. And they're driving a 55 Chevrolet. Shut your mouth. James Taylor was an actor. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't know that. Then there was The Hunting Party. Which was a Western film with Oliver Reed, Gene Hackman, and Candace Bergen. And my favorite movie that came out at that time was Godzilla and the Smog Monster. <laughs> Sadly, I do remember that. <laughs> and in TV of July of 71, Cat in the Hat, the TV special. I have no idea. I was probably, I was nine years old. I probably would have been right there for that, but it, I don't remember. Everybody's. Pushing their fists in the yeah, air. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've got that Woo. good good soul music kind of going on. on. And I guess we're going to continue One, on with, with more soul One, music. Two, and Brian three, has ah. a staff pick. we got to go with the godfather of soul, guys. Come on. Keep it down to Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Hot pants. Hey, hot pants. Uh. Ooh. <laughs> hot pants. Hot James pants. Brown. Love the song. It's called Hot Pants. She got to use what she got to get what she wants. This is part one. There's two parts or three parts. Part one was on side A of this release in 1971. And sides two and three were on B side of the of the record. So this is on his People's or People Records label and it was distributed by his primary label, King. It was number one R&B hit. And it reached number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100. So a number one R&B got to number 15 on their Hot 100. So I really appreciated his moves after I saw Eddie <laughs> Murphy doing James Brown. And I started thinking, I really want to pay attention to this. Oh, my gosh. I mean... What were some other nicknames that were assigned to James Brown? Other than Godfather, Godfather Soul. Godfather Soul, yeah. What else was there? 
Do you remember the hardest working man oh, in show, show business? business? Yeah, he worked hard. He worked up a sweat. Oh, yeah. I remember the end of the show, they bring that cape out and oh, leave, yeah. and he'd come back, and he yeah. kept throwing yeah. the cape off. No, I, I, I saw the, him in concert, so I, I, I oh, described boy. it before, but it is entertainment. I mean, a basically, showman. the first half of the show is his backup band doing everything, and then he comes out, and he pushes it to the max. Oh, yeah. And then he dies, basically, and like you said, they cover him with a cape, and then suddenly he pops back up, and oh, he's yeah. coming back. Now, when, did, when did he die? It wasn't that long. I mean, it was, uh, it was about 15 years ago. Yeah. Is it that long? Yeah. I know. It's always longer than I think it is. Okay, me too. No, but this was, he, uh, he, he came with uh, his band signed with a new label. This the, the record label that, you know, he, he eventually signed and moved to Polydor Records. They re-released this and did it to an eight-minute or eight-minute and 42-second record, uh, which, we, you know, we could have featured, but since this, today's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of music, but we instead chose the, the one that came out in 71, so. But no, I mean, just listen to that. I mean, just great, great R&B. And if you watch his videos and watch him in concert, the first thing that comes to mind is how much he influenced Michael Jackson and how much he influenced Prince. Because watch their footwork. It is exactly coming from the hardest working man in showbiz. He would work up a sweat. I remember that. Oh, he my God. He gave it all he got. Yeah. And they, they both gave huge kudos and, and inspiration that they got from, uh, from James Brown. So... We're going to move on to staff picks. We're going to probably keep it in a similar theme. Yeah, why not? This is going to Rob. We're going to keep the R&B. Now, you're probably more familiar with this song from another group. But this was the 19, July 1971 version of Love the One You're With, and this is the Isley Brothers. Who did the original, Rob? The original was Stephen Stills' version. He was from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Crosby and Nash sang back up on that album. And he wrote this in November of 1970. A lot of artists have covered it, but this is this is probably the second biggest version after after the uh, original by Stephen Stills. A little more soul added in. Yes. This reached number three on the R&B charts. And it was their fifth U.S. Top 40 single. They they really did. This is a lot more gospel-y, a lot, you know, it's got a different feel. Other artists that have covered it include Bucks, Fizz, Luther Vandross, and Will Young. The Isley Brothers were from Cincinnati, Ohio, and they started off as a vocal trio. So you had O'Kelly Isley Jr., Rudolph Isley, and Ronald Isley in the 1950s. Okay, this is 1971. They were really gospel doo-wop. They would bring rock and funk together with pop. You hear a little bit, kind of like you said the Allman Brothers, Andy, where you bring in all these different influences. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then they ended up adding Ernie Isley on lead guitar, Marvin Isley on bass guitar, and Rudolph's brother-in-law, Chris Jasper, the only one that was not Isley, on keyboards and synthesizers in 1973. So this is that bass, though, Rob. I mean, yeah. that driving bass. Yeah, this is. I always wanted to scream like that. I never had that. <laughs> I I do like uh, I do like the Crosby, Stills, Nash 
version, but I just thought this was oh, really cool. Oh, a great cool. version. This it's kicks horrible. it up to another level, though. That's the way that what I like. I mean, this, this is... Crosby, Stills, and Nash does not have that bass line. No, no. They don't, I don't <laughs> even think they have a bass. That's <laughs> true. That's good, a good point. That's a good point. So do you know what some of the other hits were by the Isley Brothers? Oh, golly. Yeah. So they had Shout. Yeah, okay, wow. In 1959. Wow. 59. Animal House made that one famous. In the 1960s, they had uh, twi- Twist and Shout, yeah. and then they also had a Motown single, This Old Heart of Mine. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember yeah. that one. And then uh, they won a Grammy with It's Your Thing. Remember that? <laughs> it's, that's been on a couple do of commercials. Do what you want to do, yeah. Yeah. Love the one you with. Glad you shared this because I'm not as familiar with this version. Uh, I hadn't heard this in a long time. It's great. Yeah, it's great. You can even hear that. It's just a little different. I'm still stuck feel. on the bass line though, guys. I mean that bass yeah, line listen to is that. killing me. This is exciting. This I, I'm in, I'm enjoying. Oh yeah, we're all moving in here, folks. This Let's is a, this is a very R&B influenced podcast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I like it. Which of course is you know crucial to the foundation of rock and roll. Excellent choice there. All right. So now we're going to Wayne. And trust me, guys, we did not get together and go, hey, we're going to do an RB <laughs> podcast. podcast and just nothing but staff picks. But we got together and we went... Oh, cool. We have all these nice songs. <laughs> this is the Undisputed Truth, people. Motown what? Recording Act. Oh, that's the name. Yes. I thought you were about and to tell us. And the song is Smiling Faces, Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, they were kind of a, it's called a, uh, a psychedelic soul production. Um, Joe Pep Harris is uh, the main lead singer of the group. And they were known for their kind of uh, unusual costumes and white makeup and big giant afros. They're sort of like the started the soul trend of the glam rock type thing. Another great bass line, though. Check out the bass line. Now, Papa Ro- was a Rolling Stone was another song that was that was done by them, but the Temptations remade it and made it go to number one. Oh. So, the Temptations recorded this song. But the undisputed truth recorded it later and made it a better, better oh, song. Yeah. Made it a top wow. forty hit. They kind of traded. Exactly. So it was, I thought it was interesting that the way it kind of uh, flip flop through that. But uh, this was obviously a Motown uh, song that was basically written by other people. It was, it was Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong, and they wrote it for the undisputed truth and the, and. They wanted to make it, you know, a soul song, obviously with Motown and just going, you know. What I like is about the subject matter. Beware of what? A handshake that hides a snake. Interesting. They don't tell the truth. Sometimes smiling faces just tell lies. Are we talking about politicians here? Oh, golly. Hmm. The instrumentations are by the Funk Brothers, and that was sort of a, a session musicians that that perform most of the background group for Motown. I have not seen a doc on them. I'll have to try to check it out. I, obviously, there's one by the Wrecking Crew, and some of those guys ended up going to Los Angeles and being part of the, the Wrecking Crew. 
Some of the members of the Funk Brothers were Marvin Gaye and Ray Parker Jr. Wow. And do you guys know another song that's similar to this? I'm sure when you tell us, we're going to know. The OJs had a song in 1972, a year later, what called they do? Backstabbers. Backstabbers. There you go, yeah. What they do. They smile in your face. Exactly. Interesting. So, And we'll probably cover that one. Oh, eventually. yeah, great song. I, th- I think I need to jump in there real quick and put it on the database for my song. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to get to it first? Probably Bruce. I'm gonna, oh. Uh, yeah, Bruce is the one <laughs> I hear. He can get to the computer quicker. <laughs> That was great, Wayne. Thanks. Yeah. So we're going to come back around to the man who started it all. Andy Burt is going to share with us something. This is not quite R&B, but this is a classic. Listen know, here. So we're shifting gears a little bit. Listen to the sound yeah, effects. Listen to this. Ahead of its time, isn't it? Yeah. A little thunder, rain. I'm glad we have this one. I love this song. What is it about these songs today, guys? Just the bass chords are just incredible. Yeah, the bass was a big part of them all, right? And there's your keyboard. That's just this is the keyboard, the Fender Rhodes electric piano by Ray Manzarek of the group The Doors. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we featured them on their original That's album, right. The Doors. I don't know, episode six, seven. I don't know, way back when. This is uh, yeah, their first album was 1967. This is from their 1971 album, L.A. Woman. And um, song was inspired by the song Ghost Riders in the Sky, a cowboy legend, which was an older song. Uh, and I want you to listen to the second verse coming up, because he mentioned in an interview, interview that there's some guy, hitchh- guy who killed some hitchhikers, murdered like six people while hitchhiking in California. And Morrison wrote these lyrics apparently based on that. Wow. Well, there there's you a go. killer on the road. His brain is squirming like a toad. Take, take a long holiday. Let your children play. If you give this man a ride, sweet family will die. Pretty dark. Yeah, thanks, wow. Jim. Yeah. It's a love song. What a lyricist. I mean, truly. As I mentioned, this was part of the uh, L.A. Woman album. It had a few singles, L.A. Woman and then um, Love Her Madly. You may remember oh, that yes, on this album. Yes, yes. <laughs> and this, uh, Riders on the Storm. Jim Morrison was found dead in a bathtub in France at age 27 in July of 1971. That's right. Part of the 27 Club. And this was just yep. after. This was actually the last song that Jim Morrison recorded. Really? From the last album they recorded as a group, Ellie Woman. But this was the last song they recorded in about three months after it was. Well, the song was released as a single right before uh, he passed away in Paris. He had moved to Paris. Wow. As Wayne said, certainly troubled. He was part of that 27 Club. Yeah. Yep. Those amazing uh, musicians and that died at 27 mm. there's got to be something to that the one thing it does say that this this uh, uh, song the album charted at number nine had two top 20 hits we mentioned those um, and there one of the distinctions the doors were the first American band to accumulate eight consecutive gold LPs hmm interesting Sold over 100 million albums worldwide and were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. Mm. Were they all from San Francisco or California? No, they're, or? they're Southern California. Yeah. From what I remember, they, I think uh, they met in uh, UCLA in oh, like the yes. art department or something like that. And then he and Manzara, that's right, they met at UCLA in a, like a film class or something. They were going to do 
that. But did you all like the uh, the film with Val Kilmer playing him? Did yeah, I, I I enjoyed a little bit of it. I some of it a little over the top, but yeah. I mean, um, I, I think pretty I, accurate. I think maybe? I heard I heard I think I heard Ray talk about um, Ray Manzarek talk about how occasionally he'd look over and he thought he was seeing Jim Morrison, but he says it did did as well as you can do right. for something that's sort of like a they, they did it as a hypnotic look back at the door. Mm, so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like they glorified it but they weren't really they kind of glossed over a lot of right them. well they but they, so they gave themselves permission the way they said yeah, it exactly. so it's like yeah. we're doing this for memory you know it's kind of like uh, i thought the actor for in bohemian rhapsody yeah. did a great job mm-hmm. like freddie you know, mercury yeah yeah playing for yeah. freddie this album uh, like i said it was their it was their sixth studio album la woman those back then, you know, they used to put out, turn out. They had six albums in five years for Electra Records. They used to really those groups used to turn out albums almost yearly, unlike today, where some groups take three, four, five years between yeah. albums. It seems like. Oh man, this is a great, great pick. I think we're I think we're gonna go ahead though. And uh, yeah, I chose a lot of long songs today. Sorry, that might no, <laughs> Look, no, no. Here's the whole thing of what the riff, guys. Go out and download these things and yeah. listen to them in their entirety. It is awesome. We'd love to play them all, but this was going to be an hour and twenty minute podcast if we did. <laughs> so I'll fade this one out, and we'll go into our laugh track or instrumental. Well, we got to go back to some soul, of there course. And who do we have here? The Nightlighters. KG. It was a top hit at the time. So, from July of 1971, this is a soul and funk band, obviously. The Nightlighters, not to be confused with the Highlighters. It was written (laughs) by Harvey Fuqua and Charlie Herndon and made it to number 17 on on the charts. One thing interesting, this also appeared in the 1977 film Saturday Night Fever. Yep. Wow. I remember that. I sure do. I've forgotten that. We also try to come back and find out things we hadn't talked about uh, for July of 71. Top hits. It's Too Late, I Feel the Earth Move, Carol King. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Indian Reservation, The Raiders. Yeah. We've already did that as a staff pick somewhere. Yep. Treat Her Like a Lady, Cornelius Brothers and the Sister Rose. Rainy Days and Mondays, The Carpenters. Mm-hmm. That's a good song. Don't Pull Your Love, Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds. Oh, wow. Listen yeah. to those horns. That's something we didn't hear on the earlier yeah. much. We heard a little bit of horn, but yep. this is a lot of horns here. You Got a Friend, James Taylor, and Mr. Big Stuff, Gene Knight. Louis Armstrong, we talked about jazz earlier. He was one of the pioneers. He had died yeah. of a heart attack. Hmm. Grand Funk became the second band to perform a sold-out concert at Shea Stadium, but they broke the amount of people that came to it because of the way they designed it. So, And they sold out the entire venue on that. Albums of July of 1971. MC5 had, a, had I think that was their last album. Diana Ross had Surrender. Funkadelic. Parliament. Mag- yeah. Maggot Brain. <laughs> oh, nice. Black Sabbath, Masters of Reality. I wonder if anybody else is going to be doing that. The Moody Blues, Every Good Boy Deserves a Favor. Deep Purple with Fireball. The Chillites, this is another one that we may have to try to come back for. Chillites, yeah. Jack Bruce, after he, I guess, left Cream. 
Glenn Campbell. I think that was his maybe first one after he left the wrecking crew. Here's your sacks, Brian. Albert King going to the Blues. Isaac Hayden had shafts, so that was yep. his album. Sha-na-na. You guys remember those uh-huh. guys? Oh, yeah. They Bowser. Were the, exactly. They were the That was their first album, the kind of the people that did 50s remake. Yep. And finally, the Guess Who. So Long was their album. This has been What the Rip. July 1971. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Andy. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Oh, it's been a blast. Yes. Thanks for letting me share it, man. It's been a, a, an honor and a privilege, my friends. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?